Well, Christ Chapel, good morning. My name is Micah Barnum, and I have the joy of being uh, the South Campus Pastor. It's a, joy, it's a joy to be with you today. Uh, if you are joining us online or in any of our venues, uh, I'm delighted that we get to open up God's Word together today. In fact, if you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, verse 54, which is on page 916 in the Blue Bibles in front of you, uh, that's where we will begin our journey today. You will need that Bible because we will not have the text on the screens this morning. Well, it's normally at this part in the sermon when the preacher gives his introduction, something to connect you with the text or with a particular idea to invite you to listen to the rest of the sermon. Here's my introduction for this morning. We have 68 verses to cover today. We don't have time for an introduction. So that's my introduction. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our passage this morning. Over the last number of weeks, we've seen God do great things through the church. But we've also seen an increasing resistance from the religious leaders as they pushed back on the growth of this great community of faith. What started out as a threat moved to imprisonment until we get to today's passage where the hostility increases yet another notch. And so today we're going to be looking at the life of Stephen. And we're actually going to jump into the text at the end of the story. And so if you would join with me, let's look at Acts chapter 7 verse 54 and read about Stephen. Says this, now when they, and that's referring to this crowd or this mob, had heard these things, that they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. If you're familiar at all with the life of Stephen, you're probably familiar with this part of his story. Because truly it is a remarkable thing. Stephen had lived this life following Christ and then made here an ultimate sacrifice And following Jesus up to the very end. But the amazing thing about Stephen was it's not just the death that he died that is remarkable about his faith. When you step back and look at who Stephen was and what he did, it's not only his death that is an encouragement to us. It's the life that he lived. So this morning what I'd like to do is to step back to the beginning of the story and look at this Life that had been changed by Jesus. Who through the testimony of who he was 
was used in a powerful way to influence people to Christ. So today the sermon title is Living a Changed Life. And we're going to look at the life of Stephen to see what it means to be a follower of Christ who lives after him and pursues him to make an impact in our world. So if you would flip back to chapter 6 and verse 8. And we're going to pick up at the beginning of Stephen's story this morning. So in Acts 6 verse 8 says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, That this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we get an introduction here into this man Stephen and the life that that he lived. What I'd like to do this morning is offer a few observations about who he was and how he lived, that we might gain a better understanding of what it means to richly and sacrificially follow after Jesus. So my first point for this morning, my first observation is this. A changed life lives to reach out to others. A changed life lives to reach out to others. How can we see this from this man, Stephen? Well, we don't know a ton about Stephen. Uh, we only really see him show up here in these passages, these chapters here in the book of Acts. And even though we don't know his background, uh, we do know a reasonable amount about his character and about who he was. We, we first heard of Stephen last week when Pastor Doug was talking through the selection of those who would uh, serve the widows in the congregation. And so we learned from last week Uh, That these men were men who were of good reputation. They were full of the Spirit of God. And they were wise. So we can assume that this was true of Stephen. But in in verse 8, we read also that Stephen was a man who was full of grace. He was full of grace. And he was full of power. And he did great and wonderful signs among the people to demonstrate that God was at work and validating this particular ministry. So he was a man full of grace and power. Uh, He was also one who was very articulate in his wisdom and the way he argued and defended the faith. So much so that the members of these synagogues were not able to withstand who Stephen was and what he said. 
So really, it's a remarkable thing. Stephen was a guy who had all of the makings of being an up-and-coming leader of this New Testament church. He would have all the signs for a, a great place of leadership at the front of the church. If he were in the graduating class of the Jerusalem Seminary for the New Testament church, uh, no doubt he would have been voted, you know, most likely to be church planter of the year. His blog would have been the most read blog among all the students because that's just who Stephen was. But what do we see him doing? Out of all of this potential for leadership, Stephen was in the kitchen washing dishes. He was bringing food out and delivering food to the people that were the least of these in their society. Because Stephen had a great heart to reach other people with the love of Christ, there was no job that was beneath Stephen. He served others with great joy, even though he might be able to say, you know, I think I'm better than this. I think I should be doing this. Stephen was a guy who gave his life to serve others, to reach them with the love of Christ. But not only was Stephen a servant, but he also stood up and spoke up for Jesus. You see him engaging with these religious leaders from uh, these variety of communities from all over that part of the world. They had gathered there in Jerusalem. And these leaders, these members of these synagogues, they see that Stephen is doing a remarkable work. And so the text says that they actually rise up against Stephen to stop him. But they were unable to withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so here's Stephen, is this really amazing guy. He has all of these great gifts and he uses those in very specific ways to serve and to give his life away to care for others, but also to put himself in the path of people who oppose the message of Jesus. And he dialogues with them and he speaks with them about the hope that we have in Christ. God had used him in such a remarkable way that we can see that for Stephen, there was no task that was too small and there was no opponent that was too big. Why? Because Stephen lived to reach others for Jesus. Over the years, it's been a joy uh, for me to be at Christ Chapel and to see people who also express this value. Uh, people who are committed to live out their faith in, in beautiful ways to reach others. I've known a number of people that just I marvel at uh, Christ Chapel and the way they serve and give. But there's one guy in particular that has uh, just stood out to me. It's my friend Milt. Uh, Milt has since gone on to be with the Lord. But I think Milt has captured for me what it means to live your life with a commitment to reach others uh, in such a beautiful and unique way. Milt was a guy who grew up with the most humble of origins. In fact, set out as a young teenager on his own uh, to make it in the world. And, and make it he did. He built over his life an incredibly successful business at the top of his industry. And from that, he reaped all of the rewards of having 
a successful business. But when you talk to Milt, you would not hear from him his latest business venture or his latest uh, trip that he had taken because he had the means to do so. Uh, What you heard from Milt was the ways in which he was excited to be able to serve others. My first uh, conversation with Milt, we uh, were sitting down and talking through um, a food drive that he was organizing for all of Christ Chapel. And Milt had put his great mind to the task of how can we collect, package, and then distribute thousands of pounds of food to deliver to those in our community in need. And to hear Milt talk about his passion and his ideas and the ways that he believed this would make an impact on families, it really was remarkable to hear his, his heart in all of that. Fast forward a few months, Milt calls me up one day and he says, hey, I have this other idea that uh, I'd like to run by you. Could we, could we meet? I'm like, yeah, man, I'd love, love to hear what you, what you got. And so uh, Milt came by the church, picked me up, and we drove over into the hospital district. And we pulled up into this little kind of dinky building that had a sign out in front that said New Haven. And I said, what, what is New Haven? Milt said, this is a, a state-run institution where people who are no longer mentally able to care for themselves and they have no one else to care for them, this is where they're brought to finish out their life because it's not safe for them to live outside of this place. And as you can imagine, this was a hard place, hard stories that were in this. And this was not a very nice place. But we walked into the, into the room, Milt brought sunshine in with him. It was amazing to see how he went up to the staff and to the residents and cared for them and knew their names and knew their stories. He loved these people. And he led me through this building into this kind of an internal uh, courtyard. It was an open air space that was cut out in the middle of the building. Almost like a, it was about the size of a two car garage. That all four sides were just cinder block walls. That at some point in the past had been painted white, but had, did not look white at all. And we walked into this little room and Milt said, you know, Micah, this space right here, this is the only place that these people will get to go and to be outside. For the rest of their lives, this is it. And look at these walls. He goes, we need to do something about this. And he went on to describe the idea that he had that he wanted to paint on this wall a mural of a beach. And on this wall, a forest scene so that these people, when they walked into this room, they at least had something to look at that was beautiful. And I remember standing there hearing Milt talk about all of this. And I looked at him and I said, Milt, who are you? You know, you have all the opportunities to spend your time in leisure and you could pursue any hobby that you want. And here you are dreaming up ways to make this space a beautiful space for people. But not only did Milt do all of that, I I later learned that Milt taught second grade Sunday school here for 15 years because he wanted young people to know who Jesus was and what it meant to love him. In thinking through Milt's life, I can't help ask myself the question, man, what am I living for? How am I spending my time? How am I living my life 
in a way that would reflect this great love of people like my friend Milt, and I think in the same way that Stephen did. And I'd like to ask you the same question this morning. What are you living for? Is there a part of your life that you are expressing a desire and a commitment to reach other people with the love of Christ? To reach others with your service and the way that you give your life away to the people in need around you. To care for them and to show them Christ's love. Likewise, are you stepping into conversations where you get to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus? Even if that means the conversations get hard. Even if that means they get a little awkward. Even if there may be repercussions in those conversations. What is it that you are living for? Stephen shows us that a changed life lives to reach others for Jesus. Would we be people who do the same? Well, moving on into the story of Stephen, back into the story. At the end of this section, we see that uh, these members of these synagogues had cooked up these charges against Stephen, saying that he had done these things, uh, spoken these particular things, and were bringing formal charges against him. And so when we start verse 7, of chapter, uh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 7, we see the story enter into its next phase. They've made these particular claims against Stephen, and they're, they're very pointed in what they've done. They've made claims against him that would actually allow them to bring about the death penalty. The Jews at this time, of course, were under Roman law, and Roman law did not allow them permission to bring about the death penalty, except for in a few very religious claims. And these are the very claims that they've levied against Stephen. And so, at the beginning here of chapter 7, the high priest looks at Stephen and he says, Are these things so? And then for the next 52 verses, Stephen gives his defense. And we, we do not have time today uh, to take a close look at all of what he said. But I do want to make sure we understand what Stephen did. Because his defense really is a remarkable uh, tool that God used uh, to show that these people were actually the ones who were out of step with God. And so, as we look at this, I'd like to offer my second point. It's this, is that a changed life follows the plans of God. All right, I want to show you how this plays out in Stephen's life. But a changed life follows the plans of God. So let me summarize for you quickly here, and if you'll take a look at the chart that's on your sermon notes, let me summarize for you the claims that they made and then show you how Stephen ultimately addresses those claims in his defense. In verses 11 and 13 of chapter 6, they claim that Stephen had spoken against Moses and the law. In verse 11, they claim that he had spoken against God himself. And then in verse 13, they claim that he had spoken against the temple. And so any good defense that Stephen offers has to at least address in some ways these particular charges. And so you see Stephen doing that very thing. In verse 20 through 46, he affirms that Moses was God's chosen deliverer. 
And as such, we can trust what Moses did and what Moses brought in the law. In verse 2 through 8, he affirmed God's faithfulness. He made promises to Abraham. And our God is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. And he affirmed that that is who our God is. And then in verse 49, he talks about the temple. And he reminds them that the temple is not some house that God has to live in. The temple is the place where we worship, but the temple was built for us to be worshipers of God, not God's residence where he is limited to live. And so you see him making this defense, and it really is a great defense. But what he does is far more than that, because Stephen turns his defense into an offense, and he begins to paint in his defense the critique of their faith. And so I want to explain why I picked the word follows. A changed life follows God's plan. There, there are two ways in which that word, I, I think, plays out for us. Two nuances of the word follows. One would be something like this. Uh, you might follow uh, a particular athlete who is, has a, a promising career in front of them. So you track them in high school and in college uh, and perhaps into the pros. Or there's a band that you follow or some person on social media. You follow them in that you, you study them and, and you see what they're doing. And you're familiar with them because you're looking at what is going on in your life. That's one sense of the word follows. Well, the other sense, of course, is to go where they lead. You are following them in what they are leading you to do. Stephen does both of these in what he offers here. And so I, I want to show you some, some really cool parts of what Stephen did in his defense. In chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, we see him picking up the story of Joseph. And he's talking about how God had used Joseph to deliver God's people. And out of all the things that we know about Joseph, listen to what Stephen highlights. He says, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on their second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family. Do you see what Stephen is doing here? He's highlighting the fact, out of all the things that you could say about Joseph, that in this story, they missed that God's deliverer was right in front of them. They had missed the fact that their kinsman was there to save them from this famine that had been going on in Egypt. They missed it so much that it was on their second visit that Joseph had to tell them, Hey guys, I'm your brother. You haven't recognized me yet, but it's me. He does the same thing again when you fast forward to verse 23. Stephen has now advanced the story of Jewish history up to Moses. So he's talking about Moses, and he says, When Moses was 40 years old and came to his heart to visit the brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man, and he avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Listen to this. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand you see how Stephen is weaving in here these significant parts of the story 
laying the groundwork to show that in the end, it's his accusers that are not in step with God. And then the strongest of these pictures comes from verse 35. Stephen here still talking about Moses. Now listen to this through the, eye, through the ears of a New Testament Christian, of someone who believes that Jesus was the Messiah. This is really brilliant what Stephen does. He says, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders in signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living oracles to give us. In verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and their hearts turned to Egypt. Stephen is laying in his defense an offense against them and their faith and the fact that they are out of step with God. Now Stephen knows exactly what's going on here. He knows he's on trial because a mob gathered him together and brought him before the council. He he knows that their frustration is not only with him, but the fact that this New Testament church has been bringing in thousands and thousands of converts. So he knows that the stakes are high, but he doesn't shy away from saying what needs to be said. And so he has laid this groundwork for his offense And then in verse 51, he gets to his closing arguments. And they are strong. If you look with me there. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. Look, Stephen offers this closing arguments, and these words sound incredibly strong to our modern ears. But what Stephen is trying to do is to break through this shell That for 2,000 years, God's people have resisted listening to God. And he's trying to break through that hard shell that they might hear and understand and believe. Because ultimately, Stephen knows that it's not just him on trial before them. But that they are on trial before God. And he is looking to bring them to a place of faith in Jesus. That they would believe in him. He was following God's leading to speak these hard words to them because he wanted to see their hearts redeemed and restored. So let me ask you this. How are you following God today? 
Are you following God in the sense that you are tracking through the scriptures with the great things that God has done in redemptive history? That you know what God has done. You know the things that are important to him. You know the things that he cares about because you are following through the scriptures, seeing his hand at work. Are you following the great news that God has given us in his scriptures? But not only that, are are you following him in doing the hard things that God calls us to do? Living a life that changed means we are people who follow the plans of God in all things. And lastly, my, my last point for today is this. A changed life focuses on the presence of Jesus. We've already read how this story ends, so I won't read it again this morning. But you see Stephen making these particular comments that he looks up and he sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus standing and this sends the mob over the cliff and they gnash their teeth at him and they hate him for his claim that he has any connection to God. So Stephen has this vision that he sees the glory of God and sees Jesus standing. What an incredible thing to look up and to be able to see the glory of God. But Luke here makes two particular comments, or mentions twice, that Jesus was standing. Why is that significant? In Mark chapter 16, we read that when Jesus ascended after the crucifixion, that he ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But here we see that Jesus is standing. What's going on there? Why is Jesus standing for Stephen? There's so many aspects to this, but I I think two stand out to me as a part of what is going on in this passage. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. I think Jesus, seeing the faith of Stephen, acknowledging before an angry mob that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus came, he died on a cross, and was raised to life. He is acknowledging that before men. And so Jesus is following in on his promise. And he is acknowledging Stephen before the ultimate judge, God the Father. And so he is standing as a witness. This is my son, and I am testifying to his faith. But I think there is also a part of it where Stephen is standing and saying, I'm sorry, excuse me, Jesus is standing and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Jesus is standing on behalf of his son, saying, I am well pleased. Your faith is being demonstrated in your life. And so in this moment of anger, Stephen looks up And he sees this. And he focuses on the presence of Christ in his life. And in that moment where the rocks begin to fly at him, when things are clear that his life 
is at the end. What is it that comes out of Stephen? You see him offer his life into the hands of God, and then he prays for those who are murdering him. What comes out of Stephen is not vengeance, it's not anger. There is no venom in Stephen's heart. There is only grace. I think back to chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, Stephen was a man who was full of grace. It should not surprise us a bit that when things get hard, when people are accusing him and harming him, what comes out of him is not anger. It is grace. Why? Because he is able to focus on the presence of the Savior. And in that, he finds encouragement and hope when things are difficult. Let me ask you this this morning. How are you focusing on Jesus now? I don't know what circumstances you might be in. Things might be going really well in your life. Wonderful. Things might be going in a way that is very difficult and painful. Whatever end of the spectrum that you're at, we need to be people who are focusing on Jesus so that his presence is filling us daily with his grace and his love for others and his trust in him. So that when things do get hard, that what comes out of us is not harshness, it's not anger, it is not bitterness, but it is care for others. It is God's grace, knowing that he has been gracious to us and we can extend that grace to other people. A changed life focuses on the presence of Jesus. Well, one last thing that I'd, I'd like to close with this morning. As the rocks began to come in at Stephen, and as I'm sure he was looking at that mob that was there, there was no way for Stephen to look out and, and know what God was doing in those particular people. What God would do in their hearts. But I love how Luke slides in for us one sentence that has great impact on the New Testament church. In verse 58, we read these words. And the, witness, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This series has been, is entitled, The Power of a Changed Life. Here is this man, Saul, who is standing, approving of the stoning of this incredible man. Saul saw the testimony of Stephen, that in these last moments, what came out of Stephen was remarkable. It was grace. How would that testimony impact this man, Saul, whom we know as Paul, the great author of so many books of the scriptures of the New Testament, I can't help but think that God greatly used Stephen's testimony in Saul's life. We have the opportunity today to make an impact on others as we live a changed life, looking to reach out to others, following God in all that he is doing, and focusing on on his presence. What might God do in us today to impact others? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for the life of this man who took his faith seriously. Who gave of his time. Who used his talents to serve others. To stand for others. To speak about the name of Jesus even when it was hard. And the faith that was alive in him bore fruit in so many others. Would we be people who love you and follow you, that you would use us to make an impact on our world. In Jesus' name, amen.